And I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love and sometimes hate of movie musicals. From Golden Age to Disney to Contemporary, we'll recap and review all things movie musical. Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along because this, this is Backstage, Backstage Biddies. Christmas time. Happy holidays. <laughs> it's Christmas, bitches. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. I love this. We always quote that Christine Sidelko vine like, Merry Crisis. Merry Chrysler. But she, I mean, the reason she left the internet was like specifically because of that video. And we shouldn't quote it anymore. Like she specifically asked people not to. Because she got death threats over that one video every single year. People are whiling. People are awful. Let Christmas be a happy time. It's Christmas. Christmas, Christmas, Christmas time. What's your favorite Christmas cookie? Oh my goodness. My knee-jerk reaction was um, just like a good old sugar cookie. What about Buckeyes? Isn't it like a family tradition for you? That's not a cookie. I count it. But it's not a cookie. I don't know. Feels What's like my a cookie favorite to me. Christmas treat? Sure. If a you popcorn need to be... ball. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was for Halloween. You like them for Christmas too? Yeah, we used to make them for Christmas all the time. We oh never did God. them for Halloween. My family never did popcorn balls, so it's weird to me that it's such a staunch tradition in your household. Yeah, when we were younger, we like my mom would bust out like the air popper. Oh, yeah. Jennifer had an air popper and we would none make of that, none of that Orville Redenbacher nonsense. No, 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 no. And then um, we when we were kids, I remember there being just like a clear like garbage bag full of popcorn balls. That's wild. When I was a young like a young child. Popcorn always irritates my gums. So I don't I know it's I, not a treat that I would like, even if it was part of my youth. I, I, I just love it. I just love it. Well, that's so it. exciting. But I do enjoy Buckeyes a lot. My great-grandma Opal always yeah, yeah, made yeah. Buckeyes. You make good Buckeyes, too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to give that up to Opal and be like, thanks, great-grandma. Shout out to Grandma Opal. Whoop, whoop. I don't know if I have a favorite Christmas thing. Almond cookies. Oh, I do love, yeah, my Grandma Judy's almond cookie recipe. I knew, as soon as you're like, what's your favorite Christmas cookie? I was like, well, Drake's is going to be Grandma Judy's almond cookies. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Because almond is a holiday flavor for me. Yes. Okay. And it's not for other people. Like when when I talk about, like whenever I eat something almond flavored, I'm like, oh, this tastes like Christmas. Like it feels like home and I love that. And they're like, it tastes like cherries to me or like it tastes like almonds. No one, no one else relates to that in in the same way I do. I don't know. It's it's a weird niche thing about me. <laughs> it, to me, it's to me it says holiday, but I think it's because that's the only time my family would use that flavoring in anything. Yeah, exactly. My family doesn't do almond flavored things the rest of the year. Like it's no just at the holidays. Yeah, and we have we found that that sparkling wine thing, <gasps> the Angelique 
from is it Stone's Throw? Stone's, Stone's Throw, I believe, in Door County. Oh man, that is one of my favorite holiday glasses. It just it tastes like Christmas in a cup. It really does. One of my favorite holiday sips. Oh. Agree or disagree? Blueberry is a breakfast flavor. Yes. Agree. Yes. Thank you. Is that? People argue with me about it because they're like, blueberry is just a fruit. Like, it, you can eat blueberry at any time of day. And that's just not the truth. It's, I mean, it's breakfast. If you hand me something blueberry flavored for lunch, electric chair. Oh. Pri- oh. Prison time. Oh. Oh. Okay. Unacceptable. Okay. Blueberry is a breakfast flavor. It is a, a blueberry muffin. A blueberry yeah. pancake. When else do you, when else do you sit down and eat Blueberry pastries or blueberry anything, really. I mean, every once in a while I'll have it for dessert, but it's kind of like that thing where you can have breakfast for dinner. Sure. Yeah, I suppose my grandmother used to make like a blueberry cobbler. It was was called a blueberry buckle. Yeah. It's like a a pudding dessert with pie filling on top, and sometimes it's got a crust and sometimes it doesn't. My grandpa that passed away this year, his favorite pie ever was a blueberry pie. Did he prefer his with, uh, with puddings? No. Or just a straight up blueberry pie? Straight up blueberry pie. Double I've crust? I've never been a big fruit pie fan. I've always really liked apple pie because, because it's a, an American tradition. Do you eat cheese with it? Um, I do. It's not my go-to, but I do like it when I'm feeling, like when I'm craving it, I have to have it kind of thing. Yeah. And also, as I grow older, I'm getting more into different berry pies. So, like, especially cherries I'm really into currently, which I think is a byproduct of the time I spend in Door County. That's valid. Because it's a time away from my stresses and, and people who can bother me with things. So, because cherries are such a big flavor incorporated in that area, they make me feel happy and comfortable. Like, it's like a safe space flavor, if that nice. makes sense. Yeah, because it's, it's that same thing that, like, when you eat something that reminds you of your childhood, it's the nostalgia, it's the safety of, yeah, yeah. of like, certain moments in time. Yeah, like, cherry-flavored things at this stage in my life just taste like, like, low stress. Well, you know, <laughs> in, this, <laughs> in this economy, you get that wherever you can, and my God, if it's, if it's cherry-flavored things, there are worse things. I agree. There are worse things. There are worse vices to have than cherry pie. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, blessed holiday. Yeah. Y'all. Happy holidays. Hey, uh, tweet us or a mention on Instagram what your favorite holiday dessert is. What's your favorite holiday? And also what holidays you celebrate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not just Christmas time. No, it's not just Christmas time. Although I think everything we're covering this month is exclusively Christmas themed. Yes. I don't think we're tackling any other holidays this time around. This time around, no. We've got um, we've got Christmas on the docket. Christmas on the docket. On the docket. How adjacent to today's title, tell us the hint. The hint is Dolly. Well, hello, Dolly. Not Man. quite. Uh, is it uh, 9 to 5, the other Dolly Parton musical? No, it's another Dolly Parton musical. Uh, another Dolly Parton musical, the Taco Bell one. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas for doing the Taco Bell one. Is there another uh, Dolly Parton musical? I I hope you know the answer to this. No, I feel that I'm missing Uh, one. Other than the one we're covering today? Other than 9 to 5. 
I don't know. She's done a few different movie musicals. Yeah, I feel like I'm... Oh, 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 Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. There you go. That was the one I was missing. There you go. But it's not that either. No. Tell us what it is. It's Christmas on the Square. Christmas on the docket. Christmas on the Square. Christmas on the Square. The little glimmering light that we got around the holiday season in 2020. Um, it was released in on November 22nd, 2020. It was directed and choreographed by the Debbie Allen. My mom. She Wild. You guys know her from Grey's Anatomy. And I believe she was also in Fame. She was in Fame, yes. Yes, 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 yes. She's also, like, an insanely good teacher. Oh, God, yeah. Like, outside of her own abilities and appearances, like, she is a massive force behind the scenes in Hollywood, training people for the stage. Yes, yes. Screenplay was by Maria Schlatter. One more time for the kids at home. Schlatter. Wow, what a delightful name. S-C-H-L-A-T-T-E-R. And she wrote the thing? Screenplay, yes. Yeah, well, maybe she shouldn't. Well? She should pick another another career field. You leave Maria alone. I won't. <laughs> I have firm opinions about her today. <laughs> Cinematography by Oliver Bockelberg. <laughs> Bockelberg? B-O-K-E-L-B-E-R-G? Bockelberg. Bockelberg. <laughs> and music by the Dolly Parton. This is all by Dolly Parton, yeah? My mom. Yes, all of the music. There were 14 songs that were written for this. So one of the funny things about this musical, first of all, we both had like a really hard time researching this. Yeah. There's just It's just hard to find info out there about this thing for whatever reason. And a part of that is because I think it's really new. And a part of that is because I think it was just like a fun passion project for like a bunch of gals who like working together. It fully was. But one of the weird things that I found in my research is that there isn't a cast recording for this movie. There like isn't a soundtrack available anywhere for it. Huh. Yeah. There's like no, there's no ref- official recording of this musical soundtrack wise. Did it even happen? I, I begin to wonder if it's just a holiday fever dream. Mm. But some of the tracks in this movie were released on uh, Dolly Parton's most recent Christmas album. Yes. Which was a blast and felt like a warm hug from my grandmother. And I really, really loved that album. The year it came out, I played it on repeat essentially all, all, all winter. Yeah, because again, 2020... You out there, we don't need to remind you what happened, but... No, my God, what a shit year. And if I could get a little solace from a little bit of Christmas... Yeah. Then I was gonna, and Lord knows I did. But yeah, there's not... So I think it's Christmas on the Square, and um, and there's one other one. There's two tracks from this movie that are on that album. I believe you. But they don't exist anywhere else. Yeah, you're right. Weird. So the cast for this one is Dolly Parton as Angel... That's her name. That's her name. Angel. She plays an angel and is named Angel. And she makes kind of a joke about it. It's a little on the nose. Well, she knows that. The Jennifer Lewis. I know. Jennifer fucking Lewis. If Jennifer Lewis would be my auntie. Oh my God. What a blessing. I would faint. I would faint. What a beautiful human. Anyway, Jennifer Lewis plays Marjolene. She's a business owner and Regina's longtime friend. And also was the first black female mayor of whatever this she town is She was the called. first female mayor. Was she not the first black mayor as well? 
I don't know, but that's what she said. So like I'm not gonna... not race aside, she was the first female ever in a leadership position. And also I'm gonna claim it. Was well yeah. I think it's canon. Who's gonna well, yeah. who's gonna call me on it? Dolly, Dolly Parton, if you're listening, let us know. Yeah. I know you're a listener of of, of the pod, an avid an avid yeah. biddy. Bless you. <laughs> um Josh Segura as Pastor Christian Hathaway. This was a weird choice for me because I know him from other stuff. Yeah. So this was like a weird place to see him, but he does a really good job here. I think I think he does. I also find it very funny whenever there is a is a pastor named Christian. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there, he I plays mean, the pastor. There is no subtlety in this movie whatsoever none zero. Oh no none god and jesus are here present and accounted for yes uh pastor he's the pastor in town married to jenna his wife was played by mary lane haskell she played jenna hathaway she's a business owner and obviously the wife of the pastor we have uh, Jeannie mason as felicity i love her regina's assistant she was on um, So You Think You Can Dance. She was also on the most recent reboot of Roswell, which is one of my favorite shows from the 90s and one Correct. of my favorite reboots in this weird reboot era we're living in. Exactly. Love her. Yes, 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 yes. Then we have Treat Williams as Carl Pelham, the owner of the downtown general store and also Regina's old boyfriend. I don't know him. You don't? No. Should I recognize him from something? He's he's had a long time career, but it's nothing that you'd be interested in. Okay, I was gonna say everyone the way he moves through the set and with his co-stars, I'm like he's a person of note, but I don't know him. He was in Hair. All right. In the the movie musical Hair. Okay. Well, we'll probably then, see him again soon at some point. Then, well, not soon. We have Christmas well, stuff to do, but yeah. Hair is on the list. Hair is on the list. We want to get to that one eventually. Exactly. So. Um, he's. I know him because of my dad. Okay, that if tracks. That, if that makes Okay, there you go. Um, then we have the Christine Baranski. Oh my God. As what Re- a queen. As Regina Fuller, owner of Fullerville. I thought you were going to say Regina Phalange. Phalange. <laughs> Do you know that from Friends? Yes, I Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yep. What a musical that would have been. Oh, can you imagine if Lisa Kudrow had played this role instead of Christine Baranski? I want to see them both in a musical together. That would be great. Does Lisa Kudrow sing? I don't care. It's a moot point. I want her in a movie um, musical. Excuse me? She literally sings Smelly Cat. Yeah, to, to great acclaim. It got her a record deal. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that settles that. Fire it up. There we go. Lisa Kudrow in a musical when? That. <laughs> I would like to see it. Then we have Sila Kimbrough Jones as Violet. Oh, the little one. Yes. What a star. The the little gal who runs the bar. Yeah. Uh. She the actress is wonderful. She does a great bang up job here. The writing. I have a lot to say about this script. I know. I'm I'm excited for that. And then Mac, <clears throat> who's Violet's dad and bar owner of the town, is played by Matthew Johnson. Oof. I'm going to, I have some notes on him. I'm going to save him until we get to his first kind of shining moment here in the thing. Yes. But like, what a talent. Exactly. My God. So production was filmed in Atlanta, Georgia during the summer. You can tell. During 
the summer. You can tell. During the opening number, when they're all dressed for Christmas and like kick into their choreo and stuff, yep. you can you can physically see how warm they are. Yep. And I'm like, oof. There were some compromises made because some of these people are in like hats and scarves and like t-shirts. Yep. <laughs> like there were choices made so actors didn't die. Yep. <laughs> Yep. So Dolly wrote 14 full songs for just this film. Oof. And then a bunch of like partial stuff and this, that, the other thing. Fun fact, there are exactly 25 numbers in this musical. Oh, very clever. Christmas, Christmas. Does she ever sleep? No. My God. She was, she was found, given opportunity, and then just created just started to create even more opportunity for herself and everyone around her. That is ideally how everyone should function as an artist. When you are given an opportunity, it is your job to share that opportunity. I just love Dolly. I do too. She's something to aspire to. And I hope, I pray that her legacy remains unblemished until, until she departs this world. Yeah. I think it will. Because but she, other people have proven me wrong in the past, and I, I just pray to God that that's not the case for her. That's true. I don't. I oh. I can't imagine it would be though. She's built so much wonderful stuff, and not not for attention, not for acclaim, just for the good that it would do. There's, I mean, there's tons of stuff that she, that it hasn't been until recent that people have found out. Like she was able to get the high school that she graduated from to almost one hundred percent graduation rate. Because she's like, if you graduate, I'll give you each money. And that's kind of what you have to do is like, people want to talk about benefit programs in in the form of like perks or silver linings or really, especially now in the current economy we live in, the best perk, the best incentive you can give anybody is money. Right. Because money can't buy happiness whatever but it can but, buy comfort and security right the it, money can't buy happiness is a lie made up by an upper class echelon that doesn't want you to view your struggle as fuel for a revolution so money can buy happiness money solves a lot of problems like i had a really intense bout with my anxiety disorder in college and it was because of my financial predicament and when i changed my lifestyle and uh, had more money in my life, a lot of that anxiety dissipated because I wasn't worried about my future, my home, my, my next meal, my, you know, like there's so much about having money that can indeed buy happiness. Is it happiness or security though? Uh, What's the difference effectively? It's true. It gives room for happiness. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, so that's a lie, and, and I think that that's great. I think that, that she can see that and not give people the incentive of, like, you know, an internship or, uh, you know, something to put on your resume Here, or something silly like that. Here, come work for me for free. Right, it's not, it's not an imaginary bargaining chip. It's, no. It's money. And she's, and she's done, like, bookmobiles. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Dollywood gives back to a bunch of charities, and, like, she's, she's just recently, in the last couple of years, become like more invested in Dollywood and its happenings because I think it's one of the Dolly Parton facets that kind of got away from her. Cause there was a time when Dollywood was like not doing good things. Yeah. And then she kind of reinvested and it was like, no, this has my name on it and I wanted to do good things. So now it's like giving back to charities and, and 
doing good things again. But like, yeah, she's she's just such a star and an icon and God, I love her. Oh, we love you, Dolly. And also, Debbie Allen and Dolly are friends. That tracks. Like, like good, good friends. Because Debbie Allen was already in the middle of several projects and then she got the phone call that Dolly wanted her to come do a movie and she dropped everything and went and did it. And in an interview, Debbie Allen literally was like, I pissed a lot of people off, but I don't know that I cared because I went and got to work on this with Dolly and everybody. Yeah. I mean, I would drop pretty much any project I was in the middle of to work with you to work with Ariel again, to yep. work with... I mean, there's a handful of people that I would be like, well, sorry, I, I will put this project that I'm currently on on the back burner in order to prioritize projects that I care about. Like, especially after a certain age. Yeah. When do you, as an industry professional, like, stop caring about professionalism and, like, your reputation to get further? In regard to things like this, yeah. Right, and just start working on projects that make you happy with people that you like making stuff with. Right. I mean, that's always my goal is just to, I would love to end my life making cool stuff with people that I like making stuff with, you know? Yeah, I do. So, (laughs) for reviews for this one, there, again, wasn't like hardly anything, but on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a firm rating of 63%. (laughs) It was just higher than I thought it would be. Well, it's okay. And this is why. So the whole consensus of the whole thing is that this movie isn't quite up to, like, Dolly's standard. (laughs) No. Typic of what typically happens. But it's overwhelming good cheer and campy self-awareness may just be what the viewer is looking for. Yeah, like, it it starts off and you're, I'm lost lost in the haze here. Because this movie does so much. You start in a place where you're like, oh, this is this is not great. And then it gets a little worse. And you're like, oh, this is a bad movie. And then it gets a little worse and you're like, I might just shut this off. And then it gets even worse and you're like, what am I watching? And you slowly spiral into like some kind of crazy weird Christmas fever dream state. And it eventually becomes a good time, but like there is a, there's definitely a downward track, probably two thirds of the way into this, mm-hmm. <laughs> where you're like, I don't know if this is worth watching, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is. Finish it because it's good. Yes. <laughs> um, it was nominated for the Dorian Awards campiest TV show. Good. It deserves that title because like. And it won two primetime Emmy awards. I know this won Emmy awards. Are you kidding? And was nominated for a lot of other stuff, but so it, Emmys. This won Emmys. Yeah, I know. are you kidding me? It won outstanding television movie, and outstanding choreo for scripted programming. Okay, listen, I get the choreo awards. Yeah, I get that because the ensemble here they dance. Because another thing that you have to remember is the fact that this happened. Like, this was the first like pandemic Christmas we had. Yeah, so what this movie effectively did was took an industry that could put people back to work and took the opportunity, found the right people, and gave them a paycheck. And that's really cool. Well, they filmed this before the panorama. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing that in that trying time that this could put money in in the pockets of people who didn't have work at the time. Yep, yep. I think that's really cool. Yeah. So uh, this never became a live show. 
No. It's very new. It's very fresh. I doubt that it ever will become a live show. It doesn't really have the material, I think, to make a transfer of that nature. The whole time, it gave me very much so, like, the Christmas dinner theater specials that happened. Oh, big community theater vibes. Big, big community theater vibes. So, uh, instead, I did a little research on our fan favorite, Christine Baronsky. So, she has two Tony Awards, which I didn't know. I thought she only had one. She has two. Uh, They're both for uh, Best Actress. One is from The Real Thing in 1984. And the other is from Rumors in 1989. She also has a Helen Hayes Award for her performance as Ms. Lovett in 2002 at the Kennedy Center. She also played Mame at the Kennedy Center in 2006. Uh. And we're always talking about now is the right time for a revival of Mame. We're just trying to figure out who would be right for it. Oh my to, Christ. Could wouldn't we have she be cr- great? Could wouldn't that be great? Christine Baronsky is Mame. I love Mame so much. She's the right choice. She's got movie experience. She's got stage experience. Uh, Ms. Ms. Baronsky? We'd like um, to make a final request. Because she's got to be getting to the end of her career soon. Or like wanting to be. Right. And, you know, and she's done. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe. I, I don't know. I don't know her personal stance on that. But Maybe she'll be like Betty White and work right up until. Right to the very end. Or yeah. Angela Lansbury who still has like three or four movies like post- Mortem that are set to come out. Like she has several more movie appearances. Yeah, fuck it. Just last year, she had signed another contract for, I think it was Lady Bracknell in, in The Importance of Being Earnest. Like she kept working till her very last day. Oh, her is Lady Bracknell though. I know. How delicious, right? Oh. How perfect. Yeah. But maybe, so maybe, who knows? Maybe Baronsky will continue to work like that. Maybe she needs one last hurrah before she signs off. And I think Mame would be absolutely the right choice and again i think we're overdue for a rebirth of that so let's get christine baronsky in there i would absolutely fucking love that um and then lastly she was inducted into the american theater hall of fame in uh, 2018 and these are just her theater accolades she has also done a ton of television she has a bunch of movie credits um She's done some of our favorite movies, Into the Woods, Mamma Mia, Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Like, she's got a lot of movie musical accolades, as well as other things, The Birdcage. Um, you know, she's done a lot of great movies as well. And then, uh, what's the one she's in right now with Audrey McDonald? There's some dr- some procedural drama. I think it's a court drama with Audrey McDonald and Kareem Baronsky. How do I not know of this? I love those two women so much. I think I just called her Kareen Bronsky. Did you? Yeah, I think my mouth is moving too fast for my face today. Let's dive into some plot biddies. Not even a country accent? You're doing a dolly. Is, is that not what this is? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, this fever dream is going to kill me. You're right. So we start with an overture. Overture with Christmas imagery of this set, which I hated. I So I always love an overture with titles that's always preferred here on the pod. You know, right. we're, we're purists in that way. I don't know if I loved like the impressionistic pointillism paintings of the set. No, it just, they look 
bad. I think it's meant to evoke some sort of childhood memory, but like I didn't personally have pointillism in my childhood. Did it was you? Like, it was like off off brand nostalgia. Yeah, it feels like the like, great uh, value brand of nostalgia. Yeah, like they picked up a bunch of paintings from like a like an estate sale at a dentist's office, and then spritzed water on them. Yeah, like it's just it doesn't fit anywhere in a nostalgic niche for I, me i don't know i didn't enjoy it um but i did enjoy the overture like i do the like mu- the, the song music yeah, i do nice. enjoy i was uh, like an overture at the top of a show and this is a true overture this isn't like yeah. a a song separate for the for the titles like this is an actual overture of all the themes we hear throughout the rest of the movie yep which is cool yeah and we find out um throughout this film is when we find out where we're at but i'm just gonna give it to you guys right off the top uh it's in fullerville kansas we don't find out it's Kansas until almost the end of the movie. Yeah, because the writing here is truly rotten. You're right. Like, sour milk left out in the sun, rotten. Seconds from being good cheese. Like... Yeah, it's rough. But not quite. Um, So we enter in on a town square. This set looks crazy. It looks unfinished and way too clean and It looks it looks like it looks like a fake town. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a Christmas village that you'd see in like it looks a like, yeah. It's it's bad. Yeah. It, I mean it's not it's not bad. That's the wrong word. I it just, just looks fucking crazy. It you're right. Um so Dolly is a homeless woman with winged liner. <laughs> So every time we see Dolly in this, she's got some kind of sparkle effect thing going on. Oh my god! And it's it's very clearly where the budget went. Okay, so here's the thing, right? Dolly is an angel. We already know that. I explained it in the beginning. She's an angel. So she pops in and out of like, I'm a human, but also I'm an angel thing. Yeah, she's dressed as like a now, homeless woman. So she shows in up disguise. though, and she like just like appears. If you wanted to do the sparkle for like a few seconds to be like, "Ooh, I'm magically here, but now I'm a homeless woman," this goes on for like thirty seconds. It's like a hate. It, it's no, it doesn't disappear ever. Literally, it doesn't. Oh, the big sparkles do at one point. She stays because like, I like cl- I was paying attention. Sparkly to it. and overly illuminated, like more illuminated than the rest of the cast around her for the entirety of the opening number. I just... It's every time we see her, she's glowing. And she has a box that says change, and if that isn't, like, a stage prop... No, oh, yeah. It I looks don't know like, what is. It looks like something we would make for a middle school show. You're right. And, again, like, the angel beggar character with a box looking for change, like, it's very heavy-handed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They wanted so, to get right to the bottom of it. Oh, hell Also, yeah. she starts singing. They auto-tuned her. Rude. They auto-tune a lot of the voices here, and they didn't need to, and it is just rotten. <laughs> so, she's going around down on the square. We get Christmas Is, which is a very cute song. It is a lovely song. It's I love that she's everyone in town. It's it's very I said it before. I'll say it again. Probably continue to say it. Very dinner theater. It's very cheesy. I think Christmas Is is the other one that was recorded for that most recent album. Yeah. I think it's Christmas Is and Christmas on the Square. Yeah, which makes sense. So it's but I do love it. 
the dancers are dancing. Oh kids. my god. We get into the opening of this and this and the town square comes alive and uh, okay, let's go ensemble. I mean, they really they do be dancing. They dance. Good job choreographing Debbie Allen. Yeah, holy fucking choreo. It's I mean, it's it's and it's good. Yeah. It's well executed dancing. Like it is top drawer. It is excellent. We have like a an a silk artist in the gazebo. Oh yeah, doing some silk dancing hanging from the ceiling. Yeah. 10 out of 10. Casual. It's very good. We've got we've got puppies in a little in a little wagon crate thing. We've got people eyeing up each other and showing love and random soloists that pop in and out. I will say the silk dancer definitely is in her own costume. Like Oh, she, she like showed up to rehearse and then they're like, "No, we're filming it today." And she's like, "Oh, well, thank God it's light blue and white. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she definitely showed up in something she owned. Yeah. And there, if she this didn't... Was not... <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, throw everything in the kitchen sink. Um, You're and right. And that just continues. So we... It's Christine Baronsky. She's in a car. And she wants to go home. She is very quickly established as our, like, villain of the tale. And Mean Baronsky is so delectable. Oh, yeah. I love it. We I always want, see her I want play. Her to be mean to me. Yeah, yeah. We always see her play kind of like upper echelon, um, kind of hoity toity, pompous characters. Yep. In like The Stepmother in Into the Woods and uh, the character she plays in Mamma Mia and. How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and, and even Mary Sunshine kind of has her nose in the air. That's kind of the trope that she plays, is this kind of, like, upper crust lady of a certain age. Yeah. And here we get to see her play mean, and I love it. Love it. So we meet Regina. She's wanting to leave, and we meet, like, a few other of our cast of characters throughout town. We, like, get to see Carl, and he's just vibing with the rest of the townspeople. Um... And we meet Felicity and we don't know what Felicity and Regina are doing. They're like, Regina's seeming irritated. Felicity is very concerned about everything. And it turns out it's because they're handing out eviction notices. Right. Because Felicity plays a sort of uh, like assistant. Yeah. She's, she's Regina's assistant. And she's like, I'm so sorry, but here's an eviction notice. I just have to say, Janine Mason is so ungodly pretty. She's hot. Felicity is such a, a pretty, pretty actress. I just wanted it on the record. Okay. I think she's so ungodly pretty. Good job. Good job. So they're handing out eviction notices right before Christmas? Oh my God. Can you believe? Ow. Oh. So. Curse you, Regina. Yeah, and during, so all of this is still going on during the first number, and I need you all to keep that in mind, because there's going to be a lot of notes, and we're still going to be in a song. <laughs> we'll let you know when it's over. Yeah, yeah. If so, we haven't said so, just assume we are still in the opening number. <laughs> yeah, so we meet Pastor Hathaway and his wife, Jenna, and they're singing about the fact that they are going through IVF treatments to have a baby, um, Regina comes into Jenna's store and they have a conversation about the fact that Regina's dad died six months ago and the entire town loved him. He was the one who founded the town and got the businesses up and running that are there. Um, and she, 
doesn't give two shits and doesn't want to talk about her dad. And she's like, I'm selling the whole town. And that's that. And that's that. I'm selling it to Cheetah Mall. Do you get the joke there? I, what? The Cheetah Girls own it? I don't know. No. What, what's going on here? <laughs> cheetah Mall. Cheat them all. Cheetah Mall. Cheetah Mall. Welcome to the stage, Cheetah Mall. Oh! If that's not a drag name, I don't know what is. Well, I hate that. Again, it's very heavy-handed. And speaking of the gays, <laughs> <laughs> from here, so she's handing out eviction notices and also, like, she's going to pay all of these people to leave the town because she's selling the whole fucking town. Yeah, to she's build buying the people largest, out of property. Yeah, to, to build the largest mall in, in middle America. Which, guys, I don't know if you know this, but brick and mortar's dying. Yeah, don't build more malls. No, no. We don't need so more many, of that. There's so many empty ones. Yeah, if you need a mall, go refurbish one. Christ, yeah. don't build a new one. Yeah. 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 Or better yet, renovate a dead mall into something useful like housing or childcare or... Both. My because God. they're usually so large, they could do both. Yeah, build a community. Like, my God. Anyway, so we enter into the salon. Oh my God, it's Jennifer Lewis. It is Jennifer Lewis, and she is just singing the house down boots, mama. I I love her so much. We get to see the gays. There's some voguing going on right off the bat. Guys, there's voguing. Voguing in the, in the salon today at Christmas. Work hanny. It's Chris-yas. Chris Yoss? Yeah. <sighs> I don't know if I want to do this anymore. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I simultaneously hate it here, but also love it. <laughs> anyway, so they're they're singing about the fact oh that it's God. Christmas time. So uh, we meet Marjolene. Jennifer Lewis. She's the owner of the hair salon and she's friends with Regina. Um, and Regina comes in and is like, hi, I know we've been best friends since we were children. Here's your eviction notice. And also don't forget to come and do my hair tomorrow. Like bold girl. You're going to serve an eviction notice. And then, and then you're also going to still let her do your hair. Brave and bold. Chemical burn is what I, mean, I heard. Not uh, Yeah, you're selling her business, her home, the town that she was mayor of. Yep. And then you very rudely told her, you're going to let her do your hair? Girl. Yep. And someone in the hair salon literally says, she's such a b- Bless her heart. Oof. <laughs> and if you don't know... Bless her heart means what a cunt. In Southern. Yeah. Yeah. Now listen, a rich or white villain. Wow, you're stupid. Yeah. We, we've really, I mean, we're leaning into the villainy of this character right off the bat here. And not right off the bat. We're like a solid 15 in. <laughs> but don't worry. We're still on the first number. A rich white villain is the only kind of villain that I'm interested in moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. If you made a movie after the year, I don't know, 2010, 
and your villain was anything other than like a rich white person, I'm just not interested. Bonus points if it's a rich white man, but I will accept rich white women as well. You're right. But that's all I'm interested in. Those are the people that I'm look I'm interested in vilifying. Those are the villains of the modern age. That's who I'd like to hold accountable. Please and thank you. Boom. So she ent- Regina enters into the bank and we have random tap dancers. Yeah, there's a tap dance happening at the bank and this is like the first kind of like micro step we take in the downward spiral here. But like this is too much. And it's not everyone in the bank. There are no. three people tap dancing back behind her like like backup singers. And there are a bunch of people standing in line at the bank. And frankly, I don't know what we're doing at the bank. I don't know either. Um, it's a it's a little much. We're laying it on a little thick here. And don't get me wrong. We're loving the dancing. The dancers are dancing very, very well. We love to see well-executed choreography. But like, why? we're just tapping because you had people on set who had tap experience and you threw them into tap. That's what happened. Be you honest. Sh- yeah. And the bank is so small that it's kind of weird to look at. Yeah. Yeah. The budget on this was placed in such a weird... Like, again, this doesn't feel like a real place. No. The set is absolutely bonkers. Again, this is a fever dream. It is a fever dream. And we spent so much money on all of the angel effects. And it should have maybe gone to building, like, a realistic sound stage for you. And you just didn't. No, no. (laughs) You just didn't. So Regina is walking past the general store, which is Carl's store. And he's like, he's not there. Turns out he went to a dentist appointment, but that's neither here nor there. Then she starts having memories about when they were children making out. And we see that like in the window of the store. So she's got a soft spot for Carl. There's some history there that we'll dive into in a moment. So... Regina's like, fuck this place, fuck all of you, eviction, 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 and the town is sad as a whole, and she even slapped an eviction notice on the puppies in the wagon. (laughs) I mean, she didn't miss a single inch. No. Flash forward to the next day, they have a resist Regina campaign, and they have this giant sign on the outside of the church that they're like, yeah, she can see this from her house up on the hill. Fuck that bitch without saying that. (laughs) And like, just, just papers upon papers all over everywhere. The whole town has been flyered. Yeah, the whole town. And it's not just like one, one for each thing. No, they like. It's like 10 for each. They made a wallpaper out of these flyers. Yeah. Again, it's very heavy handed. Yeah. Um, I do love a good alliteration though in my campaigning. I mean, who doesn't? Resist Regina? Yeah. You got to keep it catchy. It's all about branding. I know. I love it. Um, Jenna and Christian, the pastor, Pastor Hathaway, are talking about like, oh my God, what if IVF doesn't work? She's like, oh, you're going to leave me because I can't give you a child. Yeah. And she says, all you ever wanted was to be a father and, and a pastor and I, I'm worried because I can't give that to you. And he's like, I wanted to be a father to our kids if we had them. And I wanted to make a difference in my community. And she says, but, and he said, there were no buts in our vows. Oh, that's so sweet. I really like that line. Well, I'm glad you do. 
it, the, e- even just a niblet of good writing feels like a feast here. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the, and the whole thing is like, I will be, will be parents regardless. Like if we have to adopt, if we foster, yeah, he's like, this, I don't care where that. those kids come from. I will be a, f- I will, I will be happy being a father to those kids. And to me, with you, um, so it's one of those things where I just am exhausted because like, this is a real difficult conversation that like actual people have in real life. Yeah. And to me, this conversation, and it's because I'm sure of like the state of what this, what this film is as a film, it just felt very like played like, Oh, I'm just afraid that you're like going to leave me or something. And not like this, the serious thing that it is. No, I agree. A a part of that, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I think it's a double edged sword. Right. Because I think one of the things that we always have to think about when we create art is what are we normalizing? Like what are the things that we don't put a spotlight on that are still featured? Like the gay characters, like the IVF, like the, like what are those things that we're including that aren't focal points of the piece? Because you are, in effect, normalizing those topics in that way. Yeah, which is my only thing with it is because I'm like, at least it's being talked about. Exactly. And we're still giving a script to it. Like, there's still a conversation had around it without making it a focal point and, like, a sob story. So in in that way, I think it's good. I do think it's an underdeveloped conversation and it should be played more seriously than it is. Or at least mentioned again at the end. And we do kind of loop back around to the pregnancy thing, but not in a way that I feel was productive. No. We'll get there when we get there. But I do want to say that... And especially since Jenna owns a baby store. Right. That's her thing. It's like she owns like a nursery store. Yeah. That's what they sell. I do want to say that I think it's really awesome that Jenna is played by a fat actress whose story has nothing to do with her weight. Yeah, bless. I think that that's another, like, really wonderful thing that we normalize in this is that, like, she is a noticeably heavy actress. Does it matter? Not even a little. She has been in um, basically every single Dolly Parton movie musical that Dolly herself has produced. Wow, I love that. Like, in the last... Because she can sing, sing. She can, she can, definitely. She has a stunning voice. Yeah. And I think that... The only the only thing that I have an issue with is at one point she says something like he's like I love you because you're wonderful and you're this and you're that and she's like I'm still just so confused as to why you even do. Yeah, that's, that's the only thing that is- plays a little into the like into the the trope and the stereotype and the stigma of being like a heavy woman in a relationship. Yeah. And that's the only, I was like, you could have literally 86 that. Right. You we been didn't, like, I mean, Oh, I'm so glad I was able to, to find such a wonderful man in my life. Or of all, whatever. The, all the shitty dialogue you kept in this movie. That was like the line that you couldn't part with. You could have just yanked it. Yeah. We could have, we could have gotten and rid of it. Then we could have just fully not even came close to talking about it, but we didn't actually talk about it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So they then sing a love song together called You. It's fine. They really both like sing extremely well. I just, it's just one of those things where I was like, God, did we need another like full length, <laughs> full length number? We probably didn't. Yeah. Um, I didn't know Josh Zagara could sing. He can sing. Because I know him from the other two on HBO. 
which is like a gay comedy drama. And I love his character in that. I think he's so funny. He plays this like really. Is he gay? No. Oh, okay. He plays a really hot bimbo who like designs ridiculous shoes, like outlandish shoes that do things you don't need shoes to do. Oh, fun. It's a good show. If you haven't seen the other two, highly recommend. Um, It's very insightful. It's got like a really good grasp on current gay culture. Oh, love that. Yeah, it's really awesome. And and, uh, one of the things that usually bothers me is hyper devout characters, like overly devout. Yeah. Pastors, Christians, whatever it is. And, uh, and I kept wondering like why Josh's character didn't bother me in this film the way I think it should have. Mm, Cause it bothers me, which makes sense as to like, if you know the actor from something else. Yeah. yeah and I think it's because I know that he has done like gay dramas. Like he didn't do this in, in a propaganda way. Right. This is just the character's belief in he. And this character doesn't really do anything in the context of this film that I would consider, like, antithetical to the teachings of Christ. Right. So I think that's why it doesn't bother me when it normally would in other settings. But I really love him, and it's cool to find out he could sing. Yeah. It was like, you remember how I asked for that little Richard Gere moment? Yep. This is kind of that moment for me. Oh, there you go. There <laughs> yeah, you go. It was kind of nice. So after this number, we zoom up to the house on the hill that is Regina's dad's old house. It's a mansion with a turret and like an open balcony. It's, and like, it's beautiful. It's a stunning home. It's beautiful. She, We see that she ignores a call from Dr. Marshall. Naughty, naughty. Don't ignore your doctors. Exactly. So I'm like, hmm, shenanigans is afoot. Yes. We're being aloof about something. Yes. Marjolene shows up and Regina's like, you're late. By 30 seconds. And also, you're lucky that I'm still here. She's making a house call to do your hair and you're timing her? Yeah. Girl, you should have taken... And your friends? You should have taken that time to count out a tip for her, is what that should have been, bitch. Well, so we find out in this conversation between Regina and Marjolene that Regina still needs to deliver Carl his eviction notice. And we get a little bit more of their backstory of the fact that they were high school sweethearts. They were in love. They were sneaking around behind her father's back because he didn't want her to have a boyfriend. Um, because he was like, you're too young. She was 17 at the time. Um, so they were kind of chatting about that. Then Marjolene sings Queen of Mean, which is essentially just an entire song where Jennifer Lewis just goes off vocally telling Regina she's a bitch. And girl... Girl sang. She does sing. She stunningly. absolutely nails this number. Holy um, vocals, Batman. And during this number, she's doing her hair. And I'm like, what the fuck is she doing to her hair? She's fucking it up. Cause girl, you just sold everything she ever held dear. And then sat down in her chair. Yeah. I mean, braver than the Marines. I mean. Holy, holy cow. The yeah. audacity. Yeah. <laughs> so. Leaves her with her hair fucked. Yeah. Which is hilarious. She's like, here, I've completely fucked up your hair. Now it's for you to fix. I don't know if you Goodbye. saw during this number two, there's a pretty clear seam where like the wig she's fucking up sits on top of Christine Baronsky's hair. Uh-huh. And at one point she's like hitting it with a teasing comb and like letting it fly up and get crazy. And you can see the wig slowly start to shift to the side on top of Baronsky's head. Yeah. Cheap. Yeah. Where was listen, the budget? 
Where was the budget? Nowhere. Not in the town square. Not in this wig. That's for damn it was, sure. Uh, it was in the talent. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I mean, if you paid those dancers what they were worth, then yeah, that's where the dancers, Jennifer Lewis, Christine Baranski. Girl. Although I am under the impression that all of these women really like working together. So like, and they probably just were like, Oh, let's do this fun thing. You know, whatever. Yeah. Cause I'll be honest. This doesn't seem particularly well rehearsed. No, it seems kind of uh quickly memorized and then committed to film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, after this conversation with Marjolaine, she gets a text from Dr. Marshall. Call me in all caps. Stop ignoring your doctors. Don't ever ignore a doctor when they're trying to get a hold of you. That's just a good rule. It's it's sherryish. So we see the postman and he's gossiping to Regina about some shit. And we saw earlier that he was gossiping to someone else. And I'm like, wow, not the dude you want delivering your mail. Yeah. And he, so obviously it's like the trope of the mailman having everybody's business. Right. But also that mailman gives Regina information that she she did not need. No. So not only are you a gossip, you're a class trader. You know what? Buddy. You were not one of our USPS individuals either. No, not a comrade. Solidarity. Fired. Solidarity with your people, my guy. We find out that Pastor Hathaway has called the governor and the press and this and that, and he's telling Regina all this, and she's like, well, that's great. The moment they show up or want to talk to me, they can, but I do legally own this entire town. Yeah, so what are you going to do about it? And his she, Regina walks away. His wife is like, you told me that you hadn't heard back. I think God will forgive a little white lie. Let's hope. <laughs> Regina goes into the general store and gives Carl his notice. And by the way, it's not a general store anymore. It's like a secondhand shop. It's a thrift shop. Yeah. Yeah. It's an antique store. So Carl just fully calls Regina out on what happened between the two of them. Okay. So I hadn't picked up on the fact that they were a couple beforehand, like until this moment. You didn't pick up on the, like, her touching his door and the memory of the two of them making out. I think a part of it is just that I didn't put Carl's name to Carl's face until, like, this scene. Ah, okay. I think that's what it was, because I literally did not, I just had no idea. And I think that's probably why, because I didn't know who everyone was until, I don't know, three quarters of the way through this film. I witnessed Carl leaving his store. In the oh, first I must number. Have missed it. I must have missed it in the commotion. Maybe I was looking down and writing a note or something. I, yeah, it it's completely whatever, possible. There was a lot happening in that first number. But regardless, the writing here is so uncomfortable. Yeah. Because it's not like a back and forth conversation. It's no. just like Carl yelling at her and then like Baronsky's like big glassy eyes like staring at him. It's not a yeah. scene necessarily. No. It's like a monologue at her, which is so uncomfortable. And... Uh, so he's like, yeah, so you left. We find out that they were in love and she left him at the d- high school dance. And then they never talked again. And I'm like, you guys have got to be like, what, 60 now in your 60s? And that's the thing that you're going to hold on to? So to me, it's just a weird thing to still be holding on to. But I guess if... That's where you're at in your life. That's where you're at. 
So she looks around and is just talking about the fact that this store is just filled with shit and the fact that it's not a general store anymore. Yeah, and he has a cute song about how, like, he doesn't let things go because they're not things to him, they're memories. Like, everything in his store holds a story. The song, in fact, is called Keeper of Memories. And I got so emotional. Well, the first chunk of stuff that he's talking about is the fact that, ah, do you see this tea set here? Yeah, it was a a young child who had cancers that played tea with her grandpa and died. Yeah, and like the the lyrics are very like in the spirit of Dolly Parton where like she talks about like a little girl who couldn't keep her hair. Yeah. Who used to her grandfather used to have tea with her with this set in hopes that his love would keep her alive. To, would keep her there. Like, I actually think holy it's the rhyme. Lee buckets. Right. Which again, like Dolly Dolly does that very masterfully in her songs. Yeah, of it's like, very like it. It's like a, a reminder of the the mortality of us all, but in like a very like off the cuff cavalier kind of way, and in a light and bright way of like. Right, because it's not about. She's not writing about death. She's. It's just a reminder that like our time is short, and we should celebrate each other, and like everything. And so the story, the the song is about. The story that every item holds. Right. And I got Still like, sad we- as fuck. I got weirdly emotional. I was like, oh my god, I'm like getting misty about this silly song about antiques. Okay. You doing all right? I don't think I am. Okay. <laughs> well, we're gonna have a hug about it later. Christmas time does this to me though. I, I know, you become a soft ball of goo. I do. I just get so overly sentimental this time of year. It's that and weddings. Yeah. You're just mush. I think it's because the it, it's it's one of the only times from my childhood that like my troubles couldn't penetrate. Like even when I was having a hard time like with my coming out process and I felt so far away from my entire family, Christmas was a time where like that didn't matter. Right. It's always been a time for me where like people were good to each other for no reason despite our differences and despite like being a young queer kid, like people still were kind regardless of that. And so I think Christmas holds like this really special kind of little nugget for me. And I do get, I'm getting misty now. Like I do get just like overly emotional this time of year. And this movie really did it to me. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I know. I know. But that's okay. It's, it's important to have I've accepted emotion. that about myself. Yeah. I cry at Christmas. What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm a Pisces. So like I have no room to talk when it comes to being a gooey individual. So... <laughs> She is talking, she being Regina, is talking to Carl about, okay, well, I'm offering to pay you a lot more than what this place is worth, and Felicity, my assistant, will come by to pick up the contracts, so we don't have to see each other ever again. Yeah, she like... And she walks out. She has this really kind of brutal reaction to his vulnerability here. Where she was like, well, that's nice. How nice for you that you hold on to memories. I don't ever want to see you again. And it's because she she can't. And we find out later Right. We, we kind of bust open this backstory. We get more information. But let's... But let's that's stick, not until towards the end yeah, of the film. Let's stick to the timeline. So, she comes out of the store and Dolly is a homeless woman again. And she says, I'm going to get change out of you one way or another. Every now and again, there's a nugget of writing... That is fine. I liked that line. I do too. 
because I know it's most of the writing is a dumpster fire, but (laughs) there's a little nugget (laughs) because it's that weird omnipotent thing of like, I'm going to get change out of you one way or another. Right. And we're already in on the. And Regina is like, what the fuck? Like, did you just say you were going to rob me? Like, that's kind of that vibe, but we know it's because she's an angel. We're already in on the secret. So like, it's got a double entendre and it's good writing because we know something that the main character doesn't. Right, 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 right. Most of the writing does not land in that way, but yes, yeah. this a uh, good line. Regina almost runs her doctor over because he's like walking towards her and she's trying to drive off in her car. Cause Girl, she's... pay attention. Yeah. Um, oh, I think there's like a, one of the Regina flyers, the angel. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it like flies across her windshield in her face. And yeah, she's yeah. like, Hey, and she almost runs over Dr. Marshall. He's like, we need to talk about your results of the physical. <gasps> And she's like, well, just do it now. And he's like, I can't do this in in public. I need to do this in the office. <gasps> Drama. <laughs> and she's like, just tell me. And then he's like. There's a shadow on your brain. He's like, okay, fine. You might be dying. How droll. So we need to set up another scan. 10 a.m. tomorrow. I'll be there. Foot on the gas pedal. That's not how that works. <laughs> <laughs> like it's it's whatever but like she's just like fine tomorrow 10 a.m like, bulletproof writing here guys i, I just mean you just fine. can't get around it she ends up back at home felicity's like hey by the way the cheetah mall contract came in it's like a stack two foot tall of just loose paper yeah also this is another prop that looks like it was made for like a middle school show. I mean, it's co- it, it's made for like stage comedy. Yeah. And like when, when characters pick it up, you can tell that it's a lot lighter than that stack of papers should be. Yeah. So it's clearly like a styrofoam block, like painted and dolled up to look like a stack of papers or something. Like it's, it's a fabbed prop it's not a stack of papers yeah because they used all the paper budget on the flyers <laughs> <laughs> who was in charge of the accounting I, on this like, i don't who, know who made these choices i don't know oh man oh god all right uh and regina's like thank god you told me or i would never have seen it because it's it takes up like the entirety of the table in this front foyer like it's the first thing she saw when she walked in yeah so very sarcasm <sighs> thank you felicity yeah she goes into the office and she's going to review the contract and regina is trying to turn the lights on and they aren't working oh no <laughs> dolly appears on a cloud and she has this, Baronsky has a line about, if this is a robbery, I've already called the police. Oh, she talks about the fact that she's like, she has her finger on something on this table. And she's like, I've already pressed the silent alarm. Whatever. And Dolly is just like, we both know that that's a secret. This movie had to be written by boomers. And for those of you who do not know what a secret is, it's a lozenge. It's it's a throat candy. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what a lozenge is. <laughs> oh, like a cough drop. It's a cough drop. <laughs> yeah. Like And like, why didn't you just say that? You had to call it a sucret? Maybe they were sponsored by sucret. <laughs> I don't know. But like, clearly this was written by people who like, 
Oh, so I have yes, to be at brilliant, least brilliant. A, at least sixty. I I just I th- I think it's so funny. And again, the writing here is so stupid because she's like, if this is a robbery, I've already called the police. Like she is a glowing woman sitting on a cloud that is literally hovering in front of you. You absolute buffoon. Yeah, and then Regina's like, oh, I have to have a brain tumor because what the fuck is this? And she's like, well, I'm an angel. And she's like, but what's your name? Angel. angel. The angel dialogue you be is fucking kidding me. It's just rotten, <laughs> putrid, steamy <laughs> garbage. So Regina's like, "Well, what do you want?" Angel's like, "Well, I want to see change." Right, and, we and then come she's back like, around. <gasps> "It's so heavy-handed." You're the bagel woman. Oh my god! I knew I recognized you, but also she still thinks that she's a human person. Floating on a cloud. My God. I, yeah. Full of rhinestones, just like Dolly. (laughs) Which I love. All of the angel costumes are bedazzled to shit. Because that's what Dolly was going to wear. I mean, they're Dolly's clothes. What else are you going to put Dolly in? No, it's Dolly's clothing, for sure. Yeah. We learn the story of regina's dad and how he like built this town and was trying to do it so that way like people would want to come here and he wanted to keep like the line is keep rent low so the hopes stay high right keep rent low and spirits high yeah um because he was never in it for the money he was always in it for the people and the community right he really loved the scottish parable of the lamplighter. So the lamplighter parable is about a man who always lit the lanterns in town and no one ever knew where he was, but you could tell where he had been from the light of the lamps. So it's, it's a sort of allegory for like making a difference in your community so that people can tell you've been there. Like it's not about your physical presence about it's a, it's about what you leave behind with people. Yep. And like, and again, I just got so misty while they were telling this story. And I was like, literally, what is wrong with me? This parable means nothing to anybody and is probably fake. Like, I don't even know if it's a real story. But I was like, oh, my God, that's so. Oh, I love community, too. Oh, blah, 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 and I got all blubbery about it. Huh. Yeah. I, I am going to need that hug later. Yeah, you're going to need a hug. <laughs> all right. <laughs> might shift into just a slight cuddle even (laughs) that's fine with me all right and we get the song light your lamp like throughout this number and it's and it's dolly parton singing about kindness and goodness and that's like a little carol lullaby oh warms my heart regina finds out that essentially what she needs to do is she needs to find her path back to where she came from she's to the light she's deviated too far from it Dolly disappears. And Regina's like, you know, if this is a brain tumor, can the next time something pops in, not wear rhinestones? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, in fact. Request denied. Moving on. Right. (laughs) Now we've got the town meeting, the Resist Regina campaign, and they're all gathered at the church, and they start coming up with ideas of like, what to do about all of this. And they sing the song Wickedest Witch in the Middle. Now, the ensemble really does step up to the plate here. 
Oh, fully. This ensemble really does the job. I feel like outside of this movie, this this context of this song and this dancing and stuff, if it was in something else, yeah, it feels I like a good standalone it. piece. Yeah, and so someone says "damn," another person says "no damn cussing in the church" or whatever, <laughs> but then they proceed in this song. To list all of the things that they could do to Regina. Smack her. <laughs> axe her. Violence. Set her on fire. <laughs> choke her out a little bit. It's like, a lot. Like, what in the <laughs> absolute <laughs> hell? Again, really tonally inconsistent here in this movie. Yeah. And there's there's a line that says, oh, it's colder than a witch's hey. Because hey. it's colder than a witch's tit in a brass bra is, right. is the joke. But you can't say the word tit in a Dolly Parton musical. You can't say the word tit in a church. Well, that's fair. Not Dolly Parton's church, especially. No. So it just, and they say that like, oh, she, she's someone who's a word that rhymes with which. Very clever writing. Very clever. (laughs) So... They're going through all of this shit, and then they ain't... So then we flash over to Regina in a car. And the song is over, question mark? Very abruptly. And Dolly's like, you shouldn't go to this town meeting. You know what they call you? The Wicked Witch of the Middle. And she's like, I don't give a fuck. Damn these people and their small town shenanigans. I own this shit. I gave them... Plenty of notice, which no, she didn't. No, you super didn't. And she's like, I'm giving them generous amounts of money to leave town. And so Regina is pissed. And then she calls Dolly tacky, which is just one of my (sighs) favorite things ever because Dolly loves it when people call her tacky. I mean, yeah, it's her entire brand. She built an entire empire on it. I just, I just love it. And my question to you is... Could you do a show choir show using this number as an untold story of one of the other witches of Oz? Oh, fully, absolutely. So I bet I could even do it without having to pay any copyright fees because I'll just use something from like Wicked, like the Quadlings or someone else we haven't explored. Someone else who doesn't have like a visual look already like copyrighted. I could pull that off. You bet your candy ass I could. I'm excited for you to do this because I feel like it's going to happen at some point. Let's do it. All right. Great. I'll make the witch a different color. Like, you know how Alphabo is green? Mm-hmm. We'll do a witch in another color. Mm-hmm. And we'll do, you know, a similar thing, a similar look to like munchkins, but we'll do quadlings. So we'll just pick different, different things. Like maybe like a very like fringe heavy. Could you be purple? Sure. I was going to go with maybe blue because I feel like it's a more accessible color makeup wise. Yeah, blue or, yeah. And then we have the option to do deeper shades of like purples for contour and things like that. Purple just gets to be a difficult color to contour with, I guess, is my my concern there. But I can make this happen. I, the wheels are already turning. I, I love pra- it. It's love practically it. written already. I love it. Here we go. <laughs> so, Just kidding. We go back to the church and hear even more of this song. <laughs> the song is not over, in fact. <laughs> and then at the very end, Regina shows up and <laughs> the pastor says, never has speak of the devil fit so well. <laughs> and it sent me. I had to pause it and I cackled because I was like, pastor. Oh. Also, I found the budget. 
Christian Baranski is wearing Louboutins. Oh. There's your budget. There you go. Although she's almost certainly wearing her own clothes. Because I didn't even bother looking up who did the costumes on this because they're so bad. So many people are wearing, like, their own, clearly their own clothing, which is fine, especially if you're a woman like Baronsky who has the budget to do that and already owns nice things. Like, that's fine. You're doing this with your friends. Like, it's it's whatever. I'm not going to judge you for it. But also, like, you're wearing Louboutins. And then I kept an eye on it for the rest of the film. She wears them this entire film. My God. Money. 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 So we find out that throughout the years, Regina has been selling off random bits and pieces and kicking stores out that aren't producing enough profit and this, that, the other thing. And she's decided that the deadline for everybody to be out of their businesses and out of their homes is Christmas Eve, which is literally the next night. Yeah, she's given them 24 hours. It's Christmas Eve. And the reactions here are so hammy. And this this whole movie feels like the most expensive community theater Christmas pageant you've ever seen. Yeah. Like, the acting is not good. The songs are hokey and un- unmemorable. But, you know, they have singers. They have some sangers. Even, even the people, like, even the random little blurb soloists yeah absolutely and again the dancers they're dancing their hearts out we got some really good singers here but the set looks fake and unfinished and freshly painted and like the budget is in weird places and it's just it just feels so hokey and weird yeah big christmas pageant vibes yeah so they they're told that they need to be kicked out the pastor sings the number try as an up uplifting number but also like cool you sing a song um everybody needs to be out of their homes in a night and this is i'm dire circumstances your whole town is going to be homeless the songs do a lot of heavy lifting in this musical well like it's the only time that i really kind of relax and i'm like oh okay like this is a well-written song and again these singers are singing their hearts out so like I'll forgive it in this moment, but like, wow, they do a lot of the work here. Also, another song already. Didn't we literally just finish Wicked Witch of the Middle? Like yeah. literally less than like two minutes ago. And now we're back at it with another song. Complete change of pace. But like we were just given a really huge plot point And now we're singing again. Regina asked the all important question. Is booze good for a brain tumor? <laughs> no, incorrect. It is not. Uh, no. So she ends up going into the town bar. We meet Violet, the seven-year-old bartender. Oh, my God. And and Baronsky has a line. Regina says, like, aren't you a little young to be a bartender? And yes. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. She's like, it's okay. I'm an old soul. Everyone else is over at the town meeting. Weren't you over at the town meeting? Yeah, but I arrived late and left early. And then Violet's like, oh, so you're a diva. Because that's what divas do. They arrive late so everyone sees their entrance and then they leave early so everyone knows they're going to a better party. Yeah. Like, who wrote this girl's dialogue? I... Everybody... She was was raised by Jennifer Lewis. I mean, she had to have been. Her single father didn't do this for her. No. Because we find out she was raised by a single father because we're going to get there in a minute. But, like, literally all of this dialogue 
feels so old. Like, who wrote this character? Literally, right now, we're going to go there. So we found oh out God. her mom is dead. Oh, my God. And Regina's like, oh, mine too. And, like, when she was young, she died. And so then they sing the song Fairy Tale, which is essentially just the two of them talking about how life is balls. And I don't disagree. It's not it's not a fairy tale out here. Our moms are dead. And I'm like, if there's anything that I know about fairy tales, that does mean that you're in one. Uh, yeah. If you have at least one dead parent, and Regina, you have two. Every Disney protagonist is an orphan. I'm just saying. So we get this number, and... Then Violet is like, so she's like, so what do you think of the wicked witch of the middle and blah, 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 whatever. And she's like, oh, well, you've heard about that. Your dad calls her that. She's like, yeah, she killed my mom. (gasps) And Regina's like, the fuck if I killed someone like in her head? She's like, well, what do you mean by that? So here's the whole story, kids. Regina, which we learned earlier whenever anybody was slightly behind on rent or not performing with as much money as they thought they should as right. a when store. A, when a business on the square underperforms. She evicts them. She evicted the people that ran the drugstore. So that was closed. When Violet was three months old, she had a really bad fever. Her mom had to then drive 20 miles out of town to get medicine. Her mom was on the way back and a bad storm happened which caused her to drive off the road, land in the wash, which I don't know if that's a river or a lake or a pond or whatever. It was water that her car like drove into and then she drowned. And like, again, this character is like seven years old. What little girl just details her mother's death in vivid detail to a complete stranger? I don't know. Oh my God. Kids say the darndest things. I guess they do. (laughs) So Violet then blames herself because she's like, well, I guess if I hadn't gotten the fever, then my mom would still be alive. Right. It's my fault because I got sick. And And then Regina just starts shouting no. It's such a shit response. Because then Mac, Violet's dad, comes in and is like, "Uh, what are you doing here? And is like, Violet, are you okay? Because this woman is evil. And Regina's just turning around, just saying, no, no, Oh, I no. have to go. I'm, I'm so sorry. I have to go. Uh, no. No. Like, it's just, I mean, you just dropped this incredibly heavy bomb, which first of all was terrible writing because she's a, a little girl and this was very inconsistent with, a, with her character as a whole. What a weird choice to make for this little girl. But you've gone ahead and dropped this really heavy emotional bomb and then, like, you end the scene with the most hollow dialogue possible. Yeah. Literally, what is going on? Yeah. Did anybody bother to, like, edit this script? Did you just, like, take the first draft and commit it to film? Holy buckets. Terrible, terrible, terrible writing. Yeah. So Regina is freaking out, and she has the first thought, this thought for the first time in her entire life of, oh, my God, the things that I do affect other people. Yeah. She has this kind of moment to herself. Are you new? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's a moment of character growth for her as, yeah. a, as a person. And first of all, we're auto-tuning Christine Baranski here again, which we don't need to be doing. And everybody's vibrato in this seems to be fighting against the auto-tune. Like, it's, it's not harmonious sound design going on here. 
And it's so disappointing because all of these women have such rich, wonderful voices and we're just not using them to our advantage, which feels like a stupid choice. Yeah. But this was the moment where this story kind of coalesced for me in that this, this movie is about Regina's trauma, right? She's gone through some kind of traumatic event and we're moving through that and, and learning pieces about it and how it's kind of rippled out to affect the people around her. And like the thing with the city and the thing with her guardian angel, like all of those things are fallout and secondary storylines to the trauma that Regina has experienced. She's our central character. We're talking about her ordeal. It's about her and it could have been told in an effective resonant way, but we've just dropped the ball so hard directing wise and screen play wise like the writing is really really bad it's inconsistent it meanders we have uh i don't want to say meaningless character design but like why did violet need to be seven years old and have share this trauma with a stranger like these it just doesn't make sense yeah and we have good pieces of a story that we're telling but we're just not using them effectively it's a real failure on, on the part of the director, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, director and writer. And writer. Mo- mostly writing... writer, but the directing didn't solve anything either. No. Um, so we see a flashback of Regina with her dad when she was a kid. And there was this, the light post that was supposed to be the lamp that was supposed to be in the gazebo. And he talks about being able to grow the town and... And all of that. So we see that again. It becomes sort of a through line. Yeah. Underutilized and improperly placed, but a through line nonetheless. Right. We're back at home. It's the next day. Felicity is putting stuff away in the kitchen. Angel shows up and Felicity can see Angel. Because we find out. Felicity is an angel in training. We are more than halfway through the movie at this point. We are in the second half. We're in the home stretch. Yep. And we're just now gaining new information about this character. Yep. Like the pacing is wild. Yep. What a weird time to gain that information. And Angel's like, you need to get her up and ready for her appointment. She's going to be late for the doctor's appointment. Because everything that we've talked to up until this point has just been a part of one day. Yeah. Oh, okay. Again, the pacing is really, really bad. Yeah. So, Regina's passed out on the couch. Felicity wakes her up. She's a twat. I'm also tend to be a twat in the morning, but also, like, <laughs> calm it down. Felicity wants to quit. Dolly is like, no, don't quit. If you stay on track, I will help you out with this as a seasoned angel myself. Then they get a number together. They sing, everybody needs an angel. And like, holy fucking budget, Batman. We're doing effects. We're doing editing. I mean, money. We found it. We found the budget. It's here in this one singular number. Dolly is again, very clearly wearing her own clothes. And very clearly wearing tights with open-toed shoes that are so vehemently the wrong color. Dolly's feet are just full-on orange. What? Yeah. <laughs> Who was in charge? I, I I don't know. Debbie Allen, I have a question for you. You're better than this. <laughs> so, Regina quote unquote apologizes for being short. And she was like, Felicity's like, oh my God, is that an apology? And she's like, don't push it. <laughs> 
Angel shows up in the car and Regina's like, oh my God, please go away. Because they're on their way to her appointment to get another scan to see if it's a tumor or what's going on. This entire chunk of time now is them getting to the hospital, getting in, she's getting scanned, it's taking a long time, and then them leaving. During this time, and it flips kind of back and forth between real time and in the past, we actually learn her full backstory here. Right, we get like a really in-depth flashback while she's getting this scan done. Yep. And like, it's like the 70s. Holy costumes and choreo. Wowza. We really dive headfirst. Yeah. We learned that this is the first and only dance that Regina was ever able to go to. And she says it's because it was a Christmas dance. I don't know what that means as to why I that, why her dad was cool with it because it was a Christmas dance versus anything else. But okay, fine. Uh. Dad didn't like her having a boyfriend Regina saw Carl like in a coat room giving like showing this ring and giving this ring to some random girl that she didn't even know. Right. Because they had gone to the dance together and she was so excited to like be at this dance with the boy that she liked. Her dad never let her do stuff with him. She never got to go to dances. So this was a big deal. And then she saw him give a ring to another girl. Which is confusing because weren't you dating and this is a girl that you have no idea, but you all go to school together. Fine. So this random guy comes up and asks her to dance and she just starts talking about how I just was feeling down and upset and I, oh, blah, 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 blah. And he made me feel pretty and desirable. You were 17. (laughs) The way she delivers the line desirable is so obnoxiously saucy. You're right. For who? Uh, not me. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So turns out she fucked this random dude that she danced with one time. Yeah. She was like, oh, my entire life is ruined because I saw something happen out of context in a coat closet. Well, I guess I'd better ruin my life. Yes. So she got pregnant and her dad thought it was best if she disappeared for a while. This is insanity. Yeah. Like we, this flashback spirals so quickly. Like she gave up a child. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's what we find out. So we find out that the ring was meant for Regina. and by the, But by the time that she found that out, because Carl was stopping by the house trying to see Regina, once she was figuring that out, she's like, well, I couldn't stand to face him because I was several months pregnant at that point. Yeah. And that's why I was being hidden away. And we find out, like, the father of the baby had moved on and started dating someone else. And now it was only for her to deal with. Right. She was forced by her dad to give the baby up for adoption. Yeah. Dad decides it's best for her while she's pregnant to go away for a while. So he like hides her away and they don't make public appearances. He decides that she's not keeping the baby like holy buckets. Yeah. And the acting here is dreadful too. Well, and cause like young Regina is like, no, give me my baby. No, no, just like that. Like not, not hyperbole or exaggeration. Like no tears, no screaming, no fighting. No, daddy. No, daddy, no. Give me my baby. 
And then dad makes a speech out in the hallway about how hard it is and how people would never look at her the same way. And he wanted her to have opportunities. And yeah. Not, so like, this is, he didn't, so this he didn't is want the her to sacrifice. Be defined. Right. Right. That angel is showing Regina that she never knew about. And he was like, I just don't want her to ever feel shame or, I don't want her to be someone... defined by this mistake she made. And I'm like, okay, that's weird. That's a weird thing to say and do here. It's so weird. And and Angel's like, see, your father, you didn't have the whole story. Your dad was doing what he thought was best for you. And like... Of course, that's what... That's... And you didn't even need to hear that conversation to think that that's what the parent was doing. Right. Like... And it doesn't make it the right decision. No. Angel. Oh, my God. No. it No, it doesn't. So, her dad... Um, was like, this sucks because I'm giving up a grandchild. I'm, you know, possibly hurting this relationship with my daughter, but I want her to be okay. And we find, so that, that all happens. The baby twist sucks. She, yeah, it does. So she left town because she was so upset with her dad about this and their relationship from that point was fractured and never got repaired. And, and then she recovered. literally came back for his funeral and that was it. Yeah. The thing that she has to do, right, the the mission that Regina is on for this part of life is she needs to find the light and you will find a part of yourself you lost. Foreshadowing. Yeah. We'll come back back to it. She's heading out of the hospital and all of a sudden an ambulance pulls up. Mac jumps out of the ambulance t-shirt ripped blood covered covered in blood covered in blood enter in a limp unconscious violet also covered in blood oh my god oh my god what is happening turns out they got into an accident then the pastor and his wife show up and they're like we saw the whole thing that guy was driving erratically and like hit you and jesus h Regina is freaking out and tells Felicity, like, oh, my God, Violet. She she turns to Violet. Violet, you're a strong girl. Max, she's going to be okay. And he's like, you don't know what it's like to lose a child. And then she's just like, I do. She stares off into the distance melodramatically. This is dumb as hell, but okay. So Regina tells Felicity, call around, find the top neurosurgeon, and fly them here at whatever cost. I don't care. I don't care. Find a jet plane, find a helicopter, make it happen. Regina just wants Violet to be safe and prays to Angel that, like, I just take my life. It doesn't matter. I just want this child to be safe. Yeah, she does the whole, like, God, hi. It's been a while. Like, (laughs) Like, the cheesiest. Then Felicity and Angel are sitting like on the edge of the ambulance and angel's like look at that phase one done phase one included killing a child i mean she's not dead yet that's not a point in their favor in the slightest it's not but you like, know what, what i'm the saying fuck you guys yeah so also i have a question yeah so it becomes apparent to us that this is part of like a trial for felicity because she has see had if she gets her wings and keeps her magic and... yeah she's been like having trouble being a, a guardian angel she hasn't like completed her mission the last two trials and this is a third and final trial to see if she can be a guardian angel is it fair then that angel does all of this meddling I don't know. It feels very, it feels like this is, it's meant to be Felicity's trial, right? So shouldn't we be letting her do the work? I don't know. And the fact that like, 
Dolly's character earlier, like, had a whole song about, like, I will help you if you keep at this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if there are other stakes going on here. I don't know what's happening and why that's going on. I don't really know. But... I don't love it. Whatever. So we get Max singing to Violet. Yeah, so this is kind of the second time we've heard Max start to sing. He did a little bit of singing and riffing and noodling around in, uh, in Try. And what a what a voice this I guy's mean, got on him. I mean, holy buckets. So this was one of the people that we had a hard time, like, pinning any information down about when we were looking at the casting and researching this. Yep. And the actor's name is Matthew Johnson. He's an actor, singer, dancer, triple threat in Hollywood. All right. He studied under Debbie Allen. Ah. Oh. She found him, saw his talent, and, like, took him on as a student and trained him to be the triple threat that he is now. So he's one of her, like, star students. He's arranged for the Grammys. He's one of Hollywood's favorite backup singers. He's done backup vocals for um, the Corden, the, the James Corden show. He's done work with uh, Kelly... Clarkson. Yes, thank you. I don't know why I wanted, I blanked on her name, but um, she does. She, he does a lot of backup vocals for really popular singers. He's like everyone's go-to, everyone's favorite Hollywood backup singer. I would love to hear him sing more lead, though, because... The, I would, too. I mean, he's the got... The voice and pipes at this... And I know that a lot of backup singers do. Yeah, of like, course. They're the, the backbone of the industry. Right, but we just happened to get to hear this one soloing, and damn. Yeah, I mean, again, he was really hard to pin down, but he is such an incredible talent... I wish we could see more from him, but I guess this was sort of like a favor to Debbie Allen that this isn't really his usual gig. Well, damn, Matt. I know. uh, Can you make it your usual gig? Can you try to do something again? How lucky are we to get to have seen some of it here? But I mean, in this number, he sings a whole like soliloquy to his unconscious daughter. Yeah. And holy vocals, Batman. Yeah. Every ounce of training he has is like on full display here because he is just singing the house down. Yes. Mac is telling Violet, like, I know because they were on their way to go lay flowers on her mom's grave like they do every Christmas. Yeah. And that's her way of being able to say Merry Christmas to her mom. Mac's like, I know you wanted to say Merry Christmas to your mama. And if you have to go say Merry Christmas to her, that's okay. And Oof. if you want to go be with her, that's okay. Again, and songs doing some serious heavy lifting. And here. I'm like, can you not tell your daughter that it's okay if she just dies? Nothing right. has she, been done yet. She no, literally just she hasn't arrived seen at the a hospital. specialist. Like they've just like stabilized her in a hospital room. Like and she you're just, just got here. You're whispering to her, and a lot of people have said like who have come out of comas have been like we could hear everything. Yeah. Like I could, I was experiencing everything. I just couldn't respond. Yep. So like, don't tell your daughter who is. You can let go and die now, (laughs) seven-year-old. Don't tell your daughter as she stares down the white light that you're at peace with her dying if she has to. Like, oh my god. You could have just been like, "Baby, I know it's hard, and I'm sure you want to see your mom, but like, try and stay here with me." Yeah. Holy buckets. Like whatever. And then like, if there were further complications. And she wasn't going to be able to do anything in life anymore and this, that, the other thing. And if she was suffering. Sure, sure, If she was suffering especially, but like literally nothing has happened yet. We really jumped the gun on this. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) She was just unconscious and rolled up to a hospital and that's it. But good news, Dr. Martinez walks in. Yeah, because 
Regina and Felicity's shit worked and they found somebody. He's like, that's over a hundred miles away. And she's like, well, you must have a guardian angel. I am sobbing again. Uh, That's valid. So Regina and Felicity are on their way back home. And she says that she wants to be dropped off at the general store. Angel is telling Felicity she is not ready for that. Don't do it. Angel and Felicity are having a conversation because uh, Angel shows up like in the rearview mirror while Felicity is driving. And then she ends up in like the cup holder. Yeah. At one point. Again, we spend, we blew the entire budget on the Angel effects. I'm fine. So she is like, she's not ready for that. Felicity is like, she is. I think she is. Here we go. Fucking phase two. Let's get her done. She's, I'm, I'm her guardian angel and I'm making the call. And at one point, Regina, Regina's hearing everything Felicity is saying to Angel. Yeah. And she like hears this and she's like, okay, this random woman is talking to herself. But then she says something and she's like, what was that? And Felicity's like, oh, I said that I was going to do a shortcut through blah, blah, blah. And Regina calls her an angel. Yeah, she, it's really flippant and off the cuff. And she's like, oh, you're, oh, an, you're angel. an angel. Thank you. And then Dolly from the rearview mirror repeats it back and says, did you hear that? She called you an angel. And then she twinkles into the ether. Could have ju- could have just been like a like a wink. It could have been some. It was such a useless line. And like at this point, I'm just getting irritated with the bad writing. But like, it didn't contribute anything. We didn't learn anything. Why include it? We were there. We heard her say it the first time. Like it could have been. The line was. Uh, Baronsky delivered the line very off the cup cuff, right? So it could have been a really subtle thing where like Dolly like gave her a meaningful look and winked and then twinkled into the ether. Yeah. Just like we didn't need it. No. Stop it. Yeah. Stop. The writing is so bad. Regina shows up and tries to apologize to Carl for what happened. And he is getting pissed because right now, quick reminder, everybody in town is packing up their shit because they need to be gone. Right. They're all abandoning their lives. And so he's kind of like, I don't want to hear whatever the fuck you have to say. Right. I'm busy packing up everything I've ever built. And she asks if she can, how much the lantern that her was her dad's that's there to buy and he just is like you can just have it merry christmas oh my god his delivery on merry christmas is the most insidious malicious delivery he's like here have a lamp fuck you like that yeah when he said merry christmas what he meant was fuck you yeah Ooh, it is venomous (laughs) yeah we get the line somewhere in here i believe felicity is the one that says it to regina and talking about how grief is hard and things. And she says, grief is love with nowhere to go. That's a great line. And if that didn't just arrow right into the heart, holy F. That's a great line. Oh, (laughs) grief is hard kids. And it comes up a lot during these, during this season. So we also see that Jenna is packing up her store And her husband comes in and is like, Violet's improving. She just needs to wake up now. And they're talking about the Christmas Eve sermon and how the town's really going to need those words. And pastor's like, yep, you're right. I haven't written it yet. 
But I work better under pressure anyway. Same. I thought of you when he said it. I was same like, Benny pastor. is literally the same way. You don't prepare for shit. No, no, <laughs> no. Especially giving speeches. No. no I just show up and do it off the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. So sermon's not written and he talks, he says, I don't even remember how they got here, but he says the line, the big shebangs theory. Meaning oh, like the yeah. Big Bang Theory. Yeah, because he's like, hey, God God made the world in six days. He did all he did it all in one shebang. Oh, that's the big shebang theory. Yeah, it's theory. the big shebang theory. Propaganda. LOL. We get the song Angels Know Dahlia singing. All of the songs in this musical feel so unprompted. Like we're not following any kind of like rising or falling action. Like there's nothing that sparks them. That's not because emotions got too big. We just like it's like every, like, it's like on a timer. Like, every 12 minutes we start a song. Listen, they had 25 numbers they had to fit in because it's Christmas. And they'll be damned if they were going to skip anything. And they're going to fit these goddamn songs in here. Well, they did. So Not reasonably, but they got them in there. No, so. but during this number, Dolly's like, when an angel knows what your dreams are, they can help. Send it up, send it up to your angels. They'll help you out with it. Mm-hmm. And... Angel goes and like wakes up Violet by doing some little pixie dust flu flu. Angel magic. And she wakes up and then she goes back to the store where Jenna is and does the same thing but to her uterus. Dolly Parton just pixie dusted that woman's uterine walls. And here's the thing is that now I have been told several times by people that I know personally that when they're pregnant, they're like, oh, Sure, there's like I a... I think that I'm pregnant because they feel something, they feel different, they feel off. You know your body better than anyone else because you're in it every day. Right, there's a certain amount of intuition there, but like, she gets pixie dusted and she just kind of like... Meerkats her neck up and is like, <laughs> oh, I believe I am pregnant now. <laughs> Doesn't take a test doesn't like she doesn't even like it's not even like they're like oh we're waiting on a call from the doctor to see what the pregnancy test looks like to see if the embryo was viable or blah 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 whatever no she doesn't even like put a hand on her stomach or anything she just like stands up a little straighter she's like oh i felt a twinge in my uterus right i believe it to be a babe (laughs) (laughs) christ almighty so the number goes on Regina then asks her dad for help. She's sitting at home. She's just like, dad, I could use your help. And then she lights the lantern. Very cute. Very sentimental. I too, uh, ask spirits for things and then light candles. So I can't really, (laughs) you know, so she ends up finding this secret compartment and out pops their old family Bible. It's this tiny, tiny little book and it has the history of their family in it. And she finds out the information about the baby boy that she adopted out. Right. She uh, There's a written record of, we gave up the baby and the boy's name was, and then she turns the page and gasps. She's like... <gasps> and let me say, Miss Baronsky was acting her ass off in this scene. She was because... She gave this material everything she had. Every single, like... Solitary tears she had in her body. Yeah. And she, she was ready. There's a line in here where she's like, maybe my dad was right. 
or, or she says something along she I don't know if she says maybe or, I don't know she says something along the lines of my dad was right and the answer is no your father was not right to force you to carry a child and then take it away from you and I'm like is it because the lanterns always have the answer like I, what I is, don't what what was he right about I don't know yeah what could he have possibly he ruined your life because this is because this is shit there were other options I or were there? You know, we don't know. We don't know. We don't know the exact year, so we don't know if, like, Roe was codified or if abortions right, were right. legal at the time. And obviously when this movie came out was 2020, Roe was still here right. and not... That repeal was very recent, and so obviously that conversation has changed uh, on this topic about how to plan a family and when. But, like, no, your dad was not correct. Let the minutes reflect. Your dad did not do the right thing here. No, and it's not like you made the decision and then we're going back on it and he was just trying to uphold what you had originally said, like, not no, in the moment. No, like, the like, right thing to do was, like, fuck other people's opinions. Like, do you want to have a baby? Because also, I don't know, your dad is the richest guy in town. Right, like, we'll figure it out. Whatever. If you want to have a baby, cool, fuck what other people think, let's let's raise a child. And I'm going to be there for you as your father and we're going to make that happen and we're going to do whatever you need to do so you both have a good life. That would have been the right thing to do. Or if you aren't interested in, in having a full-term pregnancy and raising a baby, like there are steps you can take to to do something about it. Right. And again, at the time, we don't know. Right. Uh, there are extenuating circumstances to those things that we don't have the whole story on in right. this little poorly written mishmash. Right. But like, no, I do not concede that your father was correct. Daddy be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But then we go back to the church. Yes. So Marjolene is getting the church jazzed up for service by a Tri reprise. And she is taking Tri and turning it into a gospel. And I got to tell you. Give me that Christmas good, good gospel, Mama Lewis. That is is the only time that is that that kind of stuff just shakes, shakes my chest a bit. Yeah. I love a good communal gospel Tune? For Christmas? Yeah, oh gosh, I just love it. Yep, 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 yep. And that's fun. Regina, yet again, almost runs over Dr. Marshall. Oh my god, and her car is filthy in this scene. Which is a weird thing, and like, we know that this was filmed in the summer in Atlanta, Georgia, I'm sure on a back road on sure. some lot. Sure, on some lot. But couldn't we couldn't have hit it with a hose or even just wiped it down. Like, there are handprints in the dust on the back of this car. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Filthy. And the doctor lets her know, your scans were clear. The machine was just shit. Isn't that great? Merry Christmas. It is not great. I wish medical equipment didn't make me fear for my life. Well, here we go. She was too busy. She had thought she found out who her son was. She walks into Jenna's store and is holding the family Bible and is just like, guess what? I was thinking about my dad and I found this Bible, our family Bible that has a list of everyone in our family, our family. Read the Bible, pastor. It's in a Bible, so it must be true. That's That's propaganda. That's gross. That's that ain't it. And the pastor looks at it and goes, what? And his wife is like, oh my gosh. And then boom, we're at the church. Okay. I'm burying the lead a little bit here. Again, there's a line at the end of this. I'm just going to point out all of the really obvious 
yucky spots. But there's a line at the end of this where like they they read the the big reveal in the Bible that we we still don't know about. Right. And someone says like, oh wow, or they gasp or whatever. And Regina says, that's what I said. It's the most dry, <laughs> awful delivery. Rotten. Could have just done it with like a like a like an understanding look. Right. Oh my god. These actors are all so good and we're just not using them to any effect. Yeah. Trash. Putrid. Rancid. <laughs> rotten. Trash. There's a reason that this movie was voted for, like most campiest <laughs> film. So anyway, then we're back at the church. The gay couple looks amazing. The gay couple looks great. Everybody's super jazzy for Christmas. Pastor shows up, goes up to the pulpit, and is like, "I'm here." You know to who sit. doesn't look good? Felicity. Yeah. She's in a solid black dress. Yeah. We know she's an angel at this point, and we put her. Everyone else is in like shiny golds and reds and greens, and everyone's like decadent Christmas wear. Maybe she's mourning the fact that she'll probably not be an angel and get sent to hell. I don't. I don't know what happens. I don't know what I don't know what the stakes are for her. She just will lose her magic and not get her wings. But I don't know what happens after that. Do you just like stay human and able to like walk around and talk to people? Or I don't know. I just thought it was on? an ugly choice. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. Pastor goes up and he's like, you know, I wasn't sure what I was going to do the sermon on. And then. Then I met my mother. And then this thing walked into my life. Tells this long story about how this woman was shunned because she was pregnant out of wedlock. And she had to give like it's she couldn't be accepted in her own home and now in her her own community. And And I think it's meant to be like an allusion to Mary. It is. It is. Because it's a sermon. But then he's like, I'd like you all to meet my, my mother, mother, Regina Fuller. And Regina walks in and everyone's like. <gasps> there are some faces in this oh my God. fucking cast <laughs> that I literally in my note, in all caps, just say cackle. I mean, there's one guy in here who like pretty consistently through the whole film was unaware he was on a movie set. <laughs> like he... He thought he was acting for the back row at like at the palace in New York. Like, he, yeah, he didn't know. He no was, one told him. No, <laughs> no. And it's just it's fucking priceless. It's and everyone's, everyone's like that. Bi- bless her heart. Like you get that line again. Like, oh, my God, that bitch is the birth mother of our pastor. Right. Because everybody loves him and they hate her. But it just, turns out. Turns out she was just really damaged. So. And it was kind of our fault. Yeah. Because we rejected her. Mm, damn. Angel is like hovering above the church choir. That's like four people strong. It's like Five at least strong. six. Uh, mm. Six including Angel? Yes, you're sure, right. Sure, why not? <laughs> It's very few people. It's a uh, small, small choir, but yes, Angel's up there above the pulpit. Regina just goes up to the pulpit and is uninvited. Like, <laughs> just uninvited, wanders just up. Goes, goes up and she starts talking about how shit she's been to everybody and looks at Marjolene and is like, I'm sorry, I've been such a terrible friend. Why? Oh, why? Did I cry when oh, Jennifer Lewis... Oh, no, I did Lewis, too. I did too. Jennifer Lewis is just sitting there in the front seat, and Regina's like, I am so... I'm sorry, I was I've such a I've been a shit. terrible friend. And she just says, it's okay, baby. Oh, sobbing. It's oh, okay. tears running down my face. 
And like that, the look on her face of like, I know. Oh of like, God. Mm, I forgive you. It's okay. I love you. I'm just glad that you're here doing that. Like, I know. So if, if, if Jennifer Lewis could just look me in my face sincerely. So I need, I need this to actually be like <laughs> from her. If I would be so blessed to have her as an auntie and for her to say this to me, just like, like does that church Grabs lady thing hands. where you grab both of your hands. It's okay, baby. Just okay. my whole soul. I just, ascend. Oh my God. I might not need therapy anymore. That's, so that's a lie, but we're about to start a number. But before we do, Regina walks up to the pulpit and she looks up at Angel and she says, thank you. And Angel says, don't thank me. I was just fulfilling your father's wish. And then she disappears again into the ether. And that's why it makes sense, I guess, in retrospect, that Angel does all this meddling and like moving around in Felicity's alleged trial because she's also like on a trial and doing her own thing right now. Yeah. So, so I'll forgive it. That's one. That's the one writing hole where I was like, "That doesn't make any sense. That's so stupid." But we've come back around to it, so that that part did resolve itself. And I will say that this song that we sing here, as uh, Baranski gets into it at the podium, it's the first song that feels justified in the musical for me. Yeah. Like I understand why we have to sing it here. She's asking the the song is entitled "Forgive Me," and that's exactly what she's asking is that the entire entire town she's like i've been shit i've literally been selling your homes and businesses out from underneath you and making this an awful place to be and i am so sorry and i hope that you all can find it in your hearts to forgive me at the end of all of this regina decides i'm not gonna sell the town cool everybody cheers yay then she like rips up the contract and she's like i'm not gonna that's not how contracts work just so we're clear, like just because you ripped it in half doesn't mean that like if you don't take any further action that Cheetah Mall like won't come in and demolish the town anyway. Yeah. There are other steps to be taken. Like, is it just a, a lovely symbolic gesture? Certainly. Are you out of the woods yet? No. no. Not in the slightest. She doesn't give a shit. So this weird thing happens, right? As if everything else in this movie has made sense. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be weird. The first incongruous thing to happen in this movie. Do tell. So Jenna, the pastor's wife, uh, now just having a twinge in her uterus. Oh, this is during the finale number? Yes. Okay. Walks up to Regina, right? After pastor like hugs her and is like, mom. And she's like, son. Jenna's like, (laughs) grandma. And we're like, you didn't even take a test. You had a slight twinge in your uterus, and you're like, I'm going to tell everyone I'm pregnant. Girl, you know nothing about nothing. That is a choice. And then, so she's like, Grandma? And Regina's like, huh? Like, not really clocking what she's saying. And then Carl comes out of left field and is like, and I'll be called Grandpa if I have anything to say about it. Didn't you just tell her to fuck off with the words Merry Christmas? Yeah, like literally less than five minutes ago. Also, you guys haven't known each other since, like... As people, since you were 17, you dated that one time. Yeah. Although he was going to propose. He was, but again, you were 17. And now you're completely different people. Yeah. You lived, like, at least 40 years 
more life. Yeah, again, we're trying to, like, tie up loose ends, and the writing just isn't doing it. And I'm like, oh my god, Regina has a family now. She has a son, and she and she has a daughter-in-law, and she's going to be a grandma, and now a husband, and now her life's complete. And, like, are these actors giving it everything they got to try and make this story work? Oh god, yeah. Fully, fully. Everyone's trying so hard. Everyone's working so hard. But the writing is just shit. However- Oh my god, I forgot. Violet is also awake. Oh, give me Violet lived. Did we talk about that when the when the angel was doing her little flu flu? I don't remember. Whatever. A- Violet's alive and fine. So we're ending in the square right where we started, which I think is nice book ending the Sure. And again, we're doing a finale number. The dancers are on ten. I literally Felicity have, is an angel. I, her outfit is amazing. I literally have holy dancers, Batman. Yeah, um, I mean shit. And then <laughs> Violet shows up after brain surgery. She's healed. Just like with with a with a gauze pad on a spot on her forehead. <laughs> Hallelujah. And then uh <clears throat> Regina turns to Mac, Violet's dad, and is like, "Oh my god, I'm so glad she's alive. Have you met my son, the pastor?" And then they have this Mac and the pastor have this moment where he's like, "What the what? fuck?" He's, he's like, like, "I'll tell you about guy? it he's later." He's like, "I'll tell you about it." He's like, "No, no, no, no. I'm gonna need to hear." What I'm gonna. I want to know and now. He's like, "No, no, no, no. I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> and it's yeah. And then we wrap it up. Merry Christmas. And then it's over. Like literally, like we're dancing, we're singing. It's over. And like literally, I wrote in all caps. Oh, the end. What the fuck was that? Done. Now, I love Christmas up, down, sideways, and, and long ways, but this movie is fucking awful. And I love Dolly Parton in oh, that same manner. Me too. I remember when we heard about this, we were like, oh my God, Dolly Parton wrote a Christmas musical with Christine Baronsky in it? We were like, She's over gonna, the moon. And then I was like, oh my God. And then we found out Jennifer Lewis was in it. We're like, our lives have been saved. Yeah. We were so Christmas is saved. Christmas and this again, this was like our first pandemic Christmas because we were like, oh my god, Dolly's here. She's providing for us. Christmas is saved. And I remember sitting down to watch it, Yumi and Ross the first time. Yep. And like the opening number happens and we're like, okay, like it's kind of hokey, like the set looks a little cheesy, the dancing's really great. The opening number is really long. And you and I always can get down for some cheese, especially right. especially I don't mind a cheesy holiday, holiday movie. I don't mind the cheese on the holidays. I don't mind cheese in camp on like a regular day. I mean, we're from Wisconsin. We love cheese. Yeah. But- so we were really invested going in. And then like about halfway through the film, we were like, so this, everyone agrees, like this is bad, right? This is painful and uncomfortable. It And it felt almost like seconds away from being one of those christian movies where they're like everyone that's not christian is terrible it, yeah it borders on propaganda it's got a couple moments that are like just straight up propaganda and like if you if you have faith and that is something that gets you through that's beautiful so i think so too as... i think faith can be so valuable especially in hard times when we don't have answers yes but when you weaponize it against other people especially like it's in the bible so it must be true or like yeah. those things are harmful yeah. Don't say them. I didn't like it. But then, of course, by the end of the film, you're like, that was not only bad, but also outrageous. Yeah. 
like you just get to the end of it and you're like, what an entire clusterfuck of like remarkably talented people doing, doing nonsense. Yep. And I know some people loved this and found such comfort in it and joy. And I'm so glad for them. Yeah. And because what we ended up finding comfort and joy in, it was Klaus. Yeah. And, and uh, the, we, a in non-movie, the same year. Yeah. A non-movie musical animated also on Netflix. And if you have not watched that movie, watch that movie because damn, it, is that beautiful storytelling. It became an instant Christmas standard for us. Yep. Like the very first time we watched it. So we recommend Klaus. Go Do go watch that. K-L-A-U-S. And I don't want to knock this for those reasons because there are definitely things from our childhood that are like cheesy and not great. You're that right. We, that we look back on that we've watched every Christmas since we were born and we look back on it and we are This is cheesy and dumb, it. but I love it. Right. And, and we watch it every year still because it's part of the tradition and, and means part of Christmas to us. So I don't want to knock this for that, but we have to rate it and we have to keep all of these things in mind. So what do you give it? A two? It's a soft two for me. Yeah, it's not a hard two. I'd even give it maybe a one and a half. I don't want to give it a one because that feels harsh. I say because of like the wonderful dancing, we still get fantastic vocals. We do. I mean, there aren't really, I will say uh, Janine Mason doesn't have a stellar voice. No, because she's a dancer first and foremost. Yeah. Felicity wasn't a a spectacular vocalist. And I wish we had seen tons. That's true. She also didn't dance a lot, which I thought was a missed opportunity. Yeah, she but, danced like that one in that one number where Dolly was like, "Don't give up being an angel." Yeah, and then they had her do like random weird studio dancing. I think because she's a really good dancer, and, and they were so like, they "Here's were like, the number you're featured in. You're gonna dance." Yep. Which I love to see from her. Again, I think she's so talented. I would love to see more from her in the movie musical realm. But I, yeah, I, I so I, I think that's fair. I think we can give it a two. The choreo is very good, but the writing is just just the bottom of the barrel. And the thing too is, is that in regards to writing, I have a lot more leeway typically with writing. Cause you notice a lot more things with writing than I do. Yeah. I think it's because of the, the roles we per- right. typically play when we produce theater together. Right. But even I, the writing is just, like, this is, it's just, I mean, what's, uh, is there a word stronger than rotten? Putrid? (laughs) Putrid, rancid, rotten, filthy garbage. It's so bad. And then there's like the one line that I will take from this movie that I will hold on to as something, as a lesson that can be given elsewhere, that grief is love with nowhere to go. Yeah, and I think that's a great line. Because I think that that can be... That's a great line. That's something that like really kind of shook me a bit. Yeah. This and, watch around. And, it, the, and so a part of it is that the writing is so bad, but there are pieces of the writing that are good, right? There are little nuggets of dialogue that are really resonant and really wonderful lines. All of the pieces for a good story are there. Like, like I said, like this, this kind of, if you focused more on Regina and her trauma and how she uses the Christmas occasion to move through it, to heal herself and then to benefit the people around her when it's her conflict that is negatively affecting the people around her. All of those things can be done, but then we dropped the ball again when we were directing. Yeah. 
And what sucks to me is that Debbie Allen was the director and the choreographer. There was also an assistant choreographer who contributed actual material, not just like cleaning and, and dance captaining and yeah. things like that, but actual choreography was contributed. It should have gone the other direction, where Debbie Allen was more than capable of choreographing this on her own. Oh, God, yeah. But maybe needed a secondhand directing. Because, like, she's directed a lot in Grey's Anatomy, especially the last several years. Sure. Um, she, I think she also did some directing on Fame, if I'm remembering my research correctly. Um, but with her attention split on the this thing, project. But that's the thing, is that either you needed to put her on choreo or you or needed on directing. to on directing. Right. So I think that the, the split was wrong and that she didn't, she didn't need help choreographing. I think it was maybe her stronger point and she didn't really need it. But our directing suffered. So even in the places where we could have picked it up and made it something meaningful again, we dropped the ball again. And so for that reason, I think it has to stay a two. Yeah. But the things that are right about this movie are very right and very good. So I'm, I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, shall we give it the biddy test? The BD, the Benny Drake. Pass, fail. Pass. Pass, I think. Pass, because that's not that's based off of the performances and not sure. based off of the material. Yeah, the uh, the interpretation, the execution of the material was great. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it was what it could be. Yeah, There's, a lot of missed opportunities. And again, the dancing was fantastic. Heard a lot of great vocals, even from people that like weren't the leads. Sure, in those ensemble numbers, they really they do the damn thing, and they're they do. featured soloists who re- bring out character voices and fun, you know, dynamic changes, and it, it feels very, it feels very community theater based, but not in a negative way. No, no. There's just, lots of fun character blemishes and things like that that really add texture to yep. a really strong ensemble vocally. So I think pass. I think pass. Two and a pass. That might be the lowest rating we've given to something that passed. Kelsey, let us know. Yeah, someone, Kelsey, review the chart. <laughs> Kelsey, we love you. Oh my gosh, we need a fortune cookie. We do. How about this month, Christmas cookies? I love a good Christmas cookie. How exciting. So our quote today comes from Dolly Parton herself, and the quote is, less is not more, more is more. Love you, Dolly. Which probably explains <laughs> how we ended up with this. <laughs> well, she does love more hair, more rhinestones. And I'll say, probably 95% of the time, Dolly's right. Well... The other 5% is Christmas on the Square. <laughs> <laughs> Benny, where can they find us this blessed holiday season? You guys can find us on Twitter at Backstage BDs. That's Backstage B for Benny, D for Drake, S. Instagram and TikTok at Backstage Biddies or email us at Backstage at, at gmail.com. If you go ahead and rate us five stars, make sure you tell your friends and family because you're going to see everybody this month. And if not, you have a phone post about us tell everyone hey if force people to listen to it on each of their own individual devices if you're not gonna see family this holiday season and you need to see family this holiday season give us a ring reach out yeah i'm your mom now what do you want for christmas where are your moms we always knew we'd get here <laughs> being gay moms but anywho, yeah, tell everybody you know, and then uh, send us a message, and we'll do your request. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. 
Where can they find you? You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Benny Biddy, and then you can find me on Twitter at Benny and No E. Where can they find you? You can find me on TikTok and Twitter at Drake underscore Leverance. That's Drake underscore L-E-W-E-R-E-N-Z as in zebra, Drake underscore Leverance. And if you guys don't celebrate Christmas and you celebrate something else, again, let us know. I would love to get some submissions and requests for holiday movies that aren't about Christmas. Yeah, we just don't know and we don't always know until watching things if they're going to be offensive. We have one coming up. That's um... Uh (laughs) Yeah, not every Christmas musical is a winner. So if you guys could send us um, some stuff that isn't Christmas, that'd be super cool. Because like the only thing that I know of like for Hanukkah is like eight crazy nights. And I know that Hanukkah isn't always like. What's that animated Adam Sandler one? Is that eight crazy nights? Yes. Okay. I mean, I would love that on the list. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's one of those things. And I don't know when, I don't know when Hanukkah is this year. I, I don't know. Cause it's not set off a date. I believe it's set off of the moon. I would believe you. Is that true? I don't know enough I about know Hanukkah that, to tell you. I don't know. Someone someone who knows about the Hanukkahs, message us about it. Love to learn. We literally have a whole professor. Yeah, that's the thing. That's I, <laughs> I never kept track of Hanukkah because I knew Dr. Love would. Oh. Because she celebrated it. And she and well, would just tell and, us. <laughs> and people are kind of like, eh, on Hanukkah, but they people more so enjoy things like, I believe it's, I believe... A Passover? I believe you. Is one that people get jazzy on in the Jewish tradition? Sure. I'm not sure. If you celebrate Kwanzaa, that's awesome. We'll support you. Festivus, Yule. I celebrate Yule. Are there Yule musicals? I don't know. I, 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 Maybe that should be a mission of ours this year. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, well, we're off to research Yule musicals. Let's do it. Bye! Bye!